HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to HeritageRadioNetwork.com, bringing you the freshest radio in Brooklyn since 2009. Hear directly from chefs to farmers, artists to architects, authors to brewers, and everyone in between. Check out all of our shows on our website or by searching Heritage Radio Network in the iTunes store. Whole Foods Market is a proud sponsor of Heritage Radio Network and Meatopia, the premier food event of the season, celebrating our meat suppliers, farmers, and butchers at Brooklyn Bridge Park, July 23rd. Watch a dozen Whole Foods Market butchers from across the country compete on stage for the title of Best Butcher. Visit www.meatopia.org for tickets and information. Boys, I'm mellow a honeydew. Yeah, that cat is high, look that look in his eye, oh man he's high, yes higher than a kite. Welcome back to the Speakeasy, I'm your host Damon Bolte. In the studio today, very long anticipated show, uh, we have Janet and Avery Glasser from Bitterman's Bitter Company. Welcome to the show guys. Hey, thanks for having us here. It's about damn time. Yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> I've been talking about this for what, months. <laughs> How are you guys doing today? We're good. Excellent. Excellent. Um, so, jumping right into it, we have a lot to talk about, obviously. Um, you guys started out uh, making bitters in San Francisco, and then moved the, uh, out to Boston, or moved to New York, then Boston, then you were in Spain for a while, then back to Boston, and then now you're back where you belong in Brooklyn. And staying there. <laughs> yes. Cool. So how did you get started making bitters in the first place? Uh, you know what? The funny thing is, as we keep on getting asked, we had no idea we were going to get into making bitters. Uh, back in 2007, I think it was, we were in San Francisco uh, and a local gin distillery was inviting folks over to uh, go and have a day of drinking gin. And you know, while they were there, they could raid the uh, botanicals closet and put down some bitters. Nice. It was interesting because you know, a lot of bars had been going out, and uh, you know, we weren't bartenders at the time. We were still sort of not bartenders, but uh, <laughs> yeah, we had you know a bar that we had spent a lot of time at, and they said, "Hey, you know, come on along." And they were talking about bitters. And the head bartender really had no idea of, you know, what he wanted to do for bitters, but he would just complain that, you know, hey, you know, I'm from Mexico and I drink a lot of tequila and bitters just don't go well with tequila. Well, that's not true. 
Well, <laughs> in his mind it was. And, you know, his, his, I guess his little mistake about that uh, was the impetus for us to think of, well, okay, you know, if you were going to make a bitter designed more for tequila, what would you do? So we thought and that was the, the idea mole. for the mole the bitters. Mole, That's yeah. great. Yeah, had no idea if it would work. Made twelve bottles. Uh, you know, no one was doing chocolate. You know, yeah. in bitters, and no one was doing spice. And you know, we put it together, and you know, of course, oh, this is great. We love it. We love it. Yeah. And it's like, well, of course, we sort of made it for you. Of course, you're going to say that. And then we'd pass it out to some other bartenders. It was really a that winter we had come out to New York. Uh, and we're at Death and Company and talking to Phil and Brian, and they, you know, taste it. Like, no, really, we'll put drinks on the menu with this if you can yeah. guarantee us a supply. Absolutely, I remember the first time I ever uh, used your bitters or saw them. It was probably like, yeah, I guess it was like 2008, mm-hmm. and they were coming in the the little blue, not for resale label <laughs> bottles. Yeah. And I remember like I. I I was I was I was working at Linnell's at the time, and then Linnell gave me some samples of your stuff, and uh, I remember watching that little blue bottle move to a bigger, like clear glass bottle, still the same white label, not for resale, sample only, and then uh, to another label, which we'll get to later, <laughs> maybe, <laughs> and then now to your uh, to the the current bottle. It's, it was cool to see the progression and in the changes in the growth of your company it's it's really admirable because like you said you just didn't you didn't really know what you were getting into it for but it just kind of happened it was very serendipitous you know uh, that that all happened and also like especially with that first style of bitters like no one uh, no one was really doing no one was doing chocolate bitters but it makes so much sense obviously with mole but bitter chocolate you know bitter dark chocolate it, it just makes too much sense and then obviously you know like from there you know yeah i mean, I mean the, the one after drinks. that you know you go into you know a grapefruit and we do a hop grapefruit because you know hops extremely bitter but you know if you ever had a really good you know pacific northwest ipa it tastes citrusy so Absolutely. it made sense so yeah bitter chocolate which is not traditionally you know hasn't traditionally been used you know hops used for bitters even though they've been traditionally used for you know for beer they really haven't entered much into the cocktail space so it's been fun sort of thinking in new ways about things that are bitter that haven't been in the cocktail world but you know should yeah. be yeah it's like I, I i'm a i'm an avid collector of antique bitters bottles and like i you know i'm always on ebay looking around for them i probably shouldn't like give out these secrets because i'm gonna end up being in a bidding war with more people now <laughs> but uh there's these old uh these old bitters bottles and every once in a while you'll see one that's a hot bitters very rarely, and like when when you told me, uh, geez, a couple of years ago about like you know like how you were doing the uh, the grapefruit bitters with the hops, I was like, oh my god, that's so like so like traditional, but like so obscure at the same time, yeah. you know. And, and it, but it makes so much sense because like you were saying, you know, it's like a like green flash IPA, you know, it's got a lot of like grapefruit and citrus to it, and it just makes it's from like. From like listening to your palate, it makes sense, but maybe not everyone gets it. But it's great that you're bringing these combinations to the world. It is the world now because yeah, you're, yeah. you're being distributed mm-hmm. all yeah, over the place. Yeah. Aus- yeah. Australia, New Zealand just got restocked. France, uh, if you're listening from France, your order is ready for pickup. It has been for 45 <laughs> days. Please call the shipping company and have it come by. Um, yeah. Uh, 
looks like Italy will be coming on very soon. Germany Spain, just, yeah. yeah. Germany just got their first bottles. Uh, yeah, Spain just got their second order in. Spain's really picking up. It, it's mm-hmm. it, it's nice to see, and it's nice when we go to things like Tales of the Cocktail, and we bump into bartenders from you know all around the world. They're like, "Oh, you're the guys behind Bitterman's." You know, it, we love your stuff. It's like, Really, you're using us in Prague? I, I had no idea. Where are you getting these bottles from? <laughs> well, it's just like uh, you know, some bars in New York City have bottles of Havana Club. <laughs> it's not distributed here. Yeah, no, no, no. Of course they don't have it. It's just a bottle for decoration. It's just <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. It's full. It's full of water or iced tea. <laughs> um, so, for I mean, with this show, you know, like our, our demographic is mostly. It's a lot of industry people bartenders servers bar owners ambassadors you know people and and also just general enthusiasts but for the people who don't actually know what bitters are can you just kind of like give us a general rundown of like that production or not necessarily your, your secrets but like just what what bitters are by definition. That's a very common question actually. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone they come over to the bar they like, so, so what are bitters? It's like, well if it's bitter, it's a bitters. But I mean, it's <laughs> the idea of bitters is that they were tinctures of bitter things or of non-bitter things with very bitter components added to it mm. um, that are used to give little nuances of flavor, but also bring bitterness into a drink. And mm-hmm. bitterness helps bring a drink together. If you think. About most things, you're getting sweet, you're getting you know sour, you're getting you know strong alcohol flavors. But bitters, unless you're pulling in amaro or you're using a lot of vermouth, is not necessarily something that's naturally in a lot of cocktails. So bitters really are the seasoning of the cocktail world. It shouldn't be the primary flavor. It's not like when you get a roast chicken with tarragon, you don't want to taste the tarragon first, then have a little bit of chicken there. You know, it's I, a chicken yeah, with a little absolutely. bit. Absolutely. I always say uh-huh. bitters are to a bartender uh, salt is to a you know a chef. You know? Yeah, salt and pepper. Yeah, exactly. totally. Um, but I mean, like, but going even further back, I mean, bitters were originally. They're they, medicine. They, 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 got, they were medicine, and they got their name. The FDA needs after. me to say they're not really medicine, but yes, they're, they're, <laughs> they're folk medicine. It's yeah. things that are bitter. There's a physiological response when you have something bitter, uh, and a lot of that goes because you know the reptile parts of our brain from you know, you know, you know millions of years ago. Most things that are poisonous mm-hmm. happen to also be bitter. Right. So when you taste something bitter, your body responds. It starts to salivate. It starts to increase your digestion. It's trying to basically get it out of you quickly. Right. Um, and it's or not until do you, it with some food or yeah, yeah. So it's it's just trying to do something to to lessen the effect, thinking that it might be poison. So, you know, people found that they were you know really good stomach remedies. You know, mm-hmm. hundreds of years ago, thousands of years ago, um, and eventually. You know, I figure there's probably some smart pharmacist who is doling out, you know, glasses of bitters to people after they were coming back from the bar the next day feeling hungover and sick that, you know, had the idea of, oh, just put it in. I have no idea, but that's that's my thought of what probably happened. They said, hey, let's just add the bitters into the drink, you know? Yeah. My, my theory was always, uh, you know, you've got your bitters, that's your medicine, and it's bitter, so you don't want it to taste too bitter, so you mm-hmm. add a little bit of water to dilute it. Maybe a little sugar to sweeten it. And then just back in the day, 
we were adding alcohol to everything, you know, and that's the uh, Mary Poppins. You know, a spoonful of sugar makes the medicine go down. Exactly, exactly, man. That's exactly what it is. And you know, like that—that's like kind of like the birth of the cocktail. You know, you've got your sugar, your water, your bitters, and your alcohol. Yeah, that's your uh, classic cocktail by definition in your old fashioned. You know, um, I, I love the idea of like kind of going back to the. Uh, all the there were so many bitters brands back in the day and like especially like looking around you know there's there are books on the subject you know just like collecting the bottles and everyone had these medicinal claims for their their specific recipes and And that's what killed them when the 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 well what became the fda started putting limitations you know for snake oil salesmen making medicinal claims on things that couldn't be proven you know, right. partially backed. Yeah. yeah. Well, and partially there was, you know, a lot of the pharmaceutical industry had interest in getting people not to use natural herbal remedies. Those two things together put the kibosh on a lot of the medical claims. You move the medical, remove the medical claims, take that, add prohibition, you know, and a lot yeah. of things just died out. Pretty much the only one that survived. Well, a couple of them. Yeah. Angostura. Peychaud's. But not in very. I mean, it was like hanging by a thread, wasn't it? I mean, did it ever actually? Did Peugeot's ever actually die out and then come back? Uh, I no, I know it was hard as hell to find it for a long time. Yeah, exactly. But you know, it's interesting. They say, oh yeah, made from the original, you know, eighteen sixty nine or eighteen whatever formula. Uh, I didn't think they used FDNC red number four back then. But. <laughs> so obviously, there's been a little bit of change right. since the uh, since the beginning. But yeah, well, it, that's true of uh, you know things like Campari. You know, it's like they're not using Cocainiol. You know, to, to I heard they actually went back. They that there did was, that there was enough. Yeah, uh, anecdotal. I haven't heard this, you know, officially from anyone, but they said there was enough backlash that they've actually started putting Coach Neal back in. Hmm. That's amazing. Um, uh, you know, that, that's that's kind of an interesting thing to talk about just for a second as well. Like, you know, Prohibition killed a lot of great products from back in the day, and you know, like things like it, it maybe if, without even just killing them, just like really made them extremely lame like you know like now you've you've got products like galliano that's gone back to the latitico you know the uh, the original recipe but it took forever for that to happen you know like people like the american palate died out like with prohibition and uh then finally after you know so many harvey wallbangers and (laughs) things like that you've got like nowadays we're, we're living in a really great time we talk about this a lot on the show we're living in a great time for this style, this classic style, because the American palate's kind of like becoming mature again. You know, it's taken mm-hmm. you know ninety years, <laughs> but uh, or eighty or ninety years, but um, it's finally getting back to that. So now you can actually sell things like Latintico Galliano, and you can have Cacino, uh <laughs> in your Campari. You know, and it's just it's kind of amazing. And you can also you can have a bitters brand. With how many expressions do you have now? You, you have a lot of experimental stuff going on. I know. We have six experimentals mm-hmm. right and, now. Yeah, and five standard brands. So we, we've got eleven different expressions right now. Of those, seven are bitters, uh, two are shrubs, and two are citrates. Cool. I really like the the one that the uh, the spicy one. No, the Hellfire. The Hellfire, Hellfire yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. yeah, so good. 
<laughs> you know, again, you know, it, it comes down from, you know, it, there are so many people who are playing with using spice in their cocktails, and either they're doing quick infusions of pepper into the spirit, which is great, but then you have a lot of that spirit left. You know, if you make up two liters of jalapeno tequila and people aren't drinking the jalapeno tequila, that's a lot of jalapeno tequila to go right. through. Well, for most people, it's a lot. You know, it's. <laughs> I wouldn't want to drink a liter of jalapeno tequila. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You know, so or hot sauce. Yeah, or they were using hot sauce. Right. And hot sauce has the, you know, it's designed for food, so it's going to have very strong vinegar flavors Mm -hmm. and a lot of salt. Hot peppers like salt. Hot peppers really love vinegar, but you know, doesn't mean that Tabasco is well suited in most cocktail applications. There are some where it works really great. Absolutely. I I find, especially if you're dealing with a lot of vegetable juice, it it really plays well. But if you're just trying to add a little hint of heat into a more classic cocktail you know you need to to rethink it you know we had been uh, recently at russ and daughters you know where we love to go and get you know fish products and they're making a a beet and lemon shrub and it's like well shrubs i mean what is a hot sauce yeah. it's a you know it's a it's a you know it's a spicy Vinegar. shrub yeah mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. and yeah. for if, also for our listeners let's like let's kind of talk about shrubs for a second just so they they know what that is i mean it's basically it's a vinegar based flavored kind of tincture as well i mean uh, there are certain things like yeah. you know like we've got like uh i think the only shrub that we have like in the in the liquor world is like the, the creole shrub yeah, yeah the creole shrub by clement yeah i mean shrubs really were you know an offshoot of what happens when the must or the wine the, the fruit wine that you were fermenting started to turn mm-hmm. so as it started to get vinegary you know you didn't want to throw it out and they found you know lightly sweetened it's extremely refreshing. So shrubs are, by definition, you know, slightly... They are vinegar-based, you know, vinegar with fruit, vinegar with vegetable, vinegar with other flavors, usually fruit vinegars that are doing it. Um, with our products, since we we focus in the, you know, in the tincture and the things you use in small drops space, mm-hmm. or at least for this side of our world, it's things we use in small drops. Um, you know, so we make a tincture of a shrub so it's a shrub that's still 44 percent alcohol but you know <laughs> but don't the, drink it yeah you know, <laughs> not not like uh <laughs> like our buddy nick jarrett popping off the top of the uh angostura bottle and taking shots <laughs> yeah you know that's that's one of those things that i mean you know back before we could legally sell and we were giving away products you know the the original little blue bottles which are you know, not for sale or resale because they were pre-approval so we had to do as part of a pre-approval program yeah, at that point it's like no, 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 don't don't do shots of it. We're giving it away for free. Now that we can actually sell, it's like oh yeah, you know, oh someone wants yeah, to do a version of a Trinidad sour with an ounce and a half of the tiki bitters. Go for it, you know, love it, you know, yeah, buy more, <laughs> dude. I I uh, I have to say I have actually taken a shot of the mole bitters on a dare, and it was delicious. Yeah, yeah. it was amazing. Um, going going back to the shrub thing for a little bit. Um, I mean. It, I know that a lot of times, like when people were working in the fields, they would drink shrubs to promote hydration as well, because of, like the salt and like the brininess of the vinegar would make you want to drink more water. And it was actually like, again, like a folk medicine to where it would make you want to drink water, you know, and you would keep you hydrated. And uh, there was I mean, in Little the House in the Prairie, there was a lot of talk <laughs> about it, right? I mean, yeah. I remember that from Little House in the Prairie. Um, <laughs> Weird. <laughs> um, but uh, 
They were ahead of their time. They, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it's so cool that you, like now you're doing products like this and uh, that we have things like this available. Um, whereas everyone, there's so many brands popping up nowadays that are these these bitter companies and we'll we'll get to that here in a second after the break um but uh it's so cool that you guys are actually doing more forward thinking on this you know you've got like your tinctures i've been to your bar amoria margo like too many times um (laughs) which we're going to talk about after the break as well and it's just really cool that uh there's so many great ideas you guys have so many great ideas and you're really like pushing it you know you're pushing you you talk about not being bartenders but you're you're helping out us bartenders so much by like having these great ideas but that was i mean from from minute one you know when janet and i were talking about you know wow it looks like we actually have a company here you know what are we going to do with it and it was always the idea that you know we love you know, being out at bars, drinking. I mean, it's that's that's the side of the Who bar where we're, we're where we're most where we're most familiar with and you know, most comfortable. We want to give new tools mm-hmm. to bartenders for them to make new drinks. So it's about creating things that are unique, forward thinking, but useful. And you know, it, it's interesting. I mean, we we came out with the first chocolate spice bitters in 2007 now how many different brands of people trying to do the same idea you know we went from innovating and now you know know, now we're just being you know copied you're being flattered Flattered. (laughs) say say flattered (laughs) yeah we'll say we'll say flattered yeah in in some cases you know uh, flattered in some cases a little confused with what they thought was flattery but yes (laughs) (laughs) well i'm very flattered to have you on the show today and when we get back from this break we'll talk more with avery and janet glasser about the bitters company uh we'll also talk about amori margo and the future of this brand we'll be right back Finger on the Pole and City Winery are proud to present the Summer Barbecue Blowout Festival, August 6th, from noon to 4 p.m. The barbecue is happening at City Winery, located at 155 Varick Street in New York City. Restaurants featured at this event are Empire Mayonnaise, Van Dag, Momofuku Milk Bar, Imperial Number no. 9, Mile End, Mexicue, Kraft, Dizzy's Club, Coca-Cola, The Meatball Shop, and Dos Toros. Providing the soundtrack for the day are Midnight Magic, Computer Magic, New Villager, Punches, Ducky, DJ Autobot, and the Snacky Tune DJ. 
VIP and general admission tickets are available at citywinery.com. Finger on the pole for City Winery, we'd like to thank our sponsors, Heritage Foods USA, New York Magazine, Rekha Vodka, Sonar, Smile, Guilt City, Sub-Zero and Wolf. Please come out and join us for a day of fun, food, and dancing. For more information, go to www.fotpnyc.com. All right, we are back. You're listening to The Speakeasy. I'm Damon Bolte. In the studio today, I'm very happy to have Avery and Janet Glasser from Bitterman's Bitters Company. And before the break, we were talking about some of the uh, some of the line that they produce, uh, bitters and tinctures and shrubs, and uh, how they got started. And uh, you guys have a, a, a lot's happened since 2007. Now you have a bar in the Lower East Side. Yeah, yeah. So we uh, back in uh, February, we were sitting around uh, at uh, Cienfuegos uh, Bar in the East Village. Uh, they used to have a sandwich shop, which had uh, closed down in the winter after they uh, opened up uh, their side rum bar. Uh, and the bar was really full, so we went. Uh, we were there with friends uh, who were involved with it, and we went over into the side room, and we were talking to the owner of the space, and he was going, you know, what should I do here? And I said, well, you know, uh, a cocktail supply shop, because there's nowhere in the East Village, not many places in Manhattan, where you can go and pick right. up, you know, strainers and bar spoons, not just... I mean, there are places you can go to get, you know, like at Williams-Sonoma and Solatab, getting the sort of things that a bartender would never use, you know, that's either unwieldy or delicate or, you know, just not what bartenders use. I mean, you can get microplanes and things like that there. But, yeah, which but, are nice, but I mean, but, you know, it's... Healers. Yeah, you can't get a standard, you know, 1828 one-sided weighted, you know, right. uh, shaker Shakerton. set. Yeah. yeah, totally. And then he said, well, you know, we have a liquor license here. I said, fine, make it a, a an Amaro tasting room, because... Yeah, hey, we're like, hey, if they do that, we'll come here and drink a lot. And then a couple days later, yeah, got an email. It's like, well, so we talked about it. It's a good idea. And, you know, why don't you guys give us a proposal? It's like, what? It's no, no, we were just sort of throwing an idea. Throwing ideas out there. (laughs) Out there, yeah, we're trying to help you along. And it ended up, they said, so, uh, you know, in, what was it, March we opened? March, mid March. In mid March we opened. We just basically put on some wallpaper and put up some shelves and, you know, painted. And, uh, yeah, it's been going great ever since. But because of that, we were able to launch our experimental line, which is you know the six flavors, the, uh, the two shrubs, two right. other bitters, and the two citrates. Because you know we can now actually interact with people and see how they're using them in cocktails and see how they like what it is. You know, because even though we're going to grow our brand and have more flavors being widely available, we don't want to end up having you know forty five flavors out there just taking right. up space no. and over half of them not being useful you know they work right. in one so, or two cocktails but you know bartenders don't love them you know of the experimentals three of them are marked for this fall going into full production and being available through our distribution network worldwide so that's cool and like and like you said you know obviously you want to keep it you want to keep your your product line at a place where it is still useful so yeah i mean like and in in that utility really shows in the bar itself because you're you like you said you're selling all these bar products you know like bar tools and things and like you know how if i'm on my way to work and i i realize like oh my god i left my 
I left my bar spoons at a cocktail competition last night, and I'm never going to see them again because it's a hotel. <laughs> you know, <laughs> they're lost forever. <laughs> I need to swing by and pick up a couple of spoons, mm-hmm. shaker tins, jiggers, all kinds of stuff. Yeah. You guys sell. Yeah, we've had people from places stuff. you know across the street. It's like oh, they broke their juicer. Yeah, you know, it's like okay, you know, right. we need to buy three hand juicers because we got a lot of stuff to yeah. go through. It's you know, it's which is nice. Yeah, you know, we like the fact that we have a lot of industry people who come in. Not just drinking and having fun, but, oh, before they go and bring in another Amaro into their cocktail program, they get to come over and taste it and ask and find out, you know, do people like it? How do you use it? So it it really is, you know, an educational resource, you know, for everyone, but for the industry as well, which is nice. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I found, and I've I've been trying to uh, talk the owners at my bar into uh, letting me order it because they're they're kind of they're um, they're like borderline prohibitively expensive, but the uh, the beer schnapps that you guys have, yeah, those yeah. are awesome. <laughs> <laughs> those are amazing. Yeah, I mean, we we. Look, I haven't seen those anywhere else, really. I haven't either. No, I want to get them in my place. You should have. <laughs> I mean, it, it would fit your program, and you have you have Aventinus there, right? At the bar, I've, I've had it in before. You've had it in before. Yeah, we, we try to rotate around. Yeah, know. I mean, but I mean, there's nothing better than you know having Aventinus beer schnapps, which is just distilled Aventinus. Yeah, and a, you know, and an Aventinus beer next to it. I mean, yeah. there's just something sort of you know alpha and omega about just having the two things sitting there. Yeah, absolutely. Last time I was in Colorado, which was not very recent, I uh, I was having some of the Stranahan's Colorado whiskey with a flying dog, uh, the the pale ale. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it was kind of cool to. See, like you know, having the distil, the aged distillate, and then the actual beer. Because they, they, I guess they're not using Flying Dog anymore, but they originally were using Flying Dog Brew, their low wines. And uh, yeah, that's that's a totally great idea. And, they, and there's also like Hitachino makes one. Yep. Mm-hmm. And the Hitachino, the uh, the Origa Stickum, which Stickum, is Origa yeah. Sticka beer. Um, the one thing about the Aventinus I really like is that we've been in Germany and actually had it. At you know one of their brew houses, you know at the Weisses Boy House, they serve it. They've been doing it for a long time. Um, I'm pretty sure that the other beer schnapps that are coming out are mostly for export. They're not necessarily something that was being done, and then they decided to hey, let's get it to America. Oh, so they're just going to like make them for the market? Or? I, I'm not sure. You know, I, I I I just know that it's. I haven't seen them. You know, when we were in Dusseldorf, I didn't see it there right. as a product. Maybe I just didn't notice, which is possible. But it's it feels like with that one that they're doing so much aging, and you know, oh, you can get it in cognac, you can get it in you know, uh, Spapergunder casks and things like that. And you say, well. Okay, they're doing a lot to it, but you know most schnapps and geists and brands back in Germany were meant to be you know distilled Street, and consumed. Distilled, yeah, yeah. Um, are we are we still on for uh, for uh, uh, Oktoberfest this year? Hell yeah, yeah. <laughs> we've got our table. <laughs> we we hope you're going to be there. Yeah, yeah. We've got our ten seats. Yeah, we're trying my I'm trying my hardest. Um, yeah. So uh, yeah, listen, once you get out, it's just the flight that's pricey. Once you get out yeah. there, the beer is cheap. Oh, it's, 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 it's really great. best scheduling. It's really best scheduling. Yeah. You know, I'm supposed to be in Cognac from the uh, 13th to the 18th. Well, the trick is just you know find something to do for another week. Well, you know, in Europe, and then <laughs> I'm sure I could find Palmer something Road. to do for a week. Yeah. Europe, okay. can't find something hard. that can be sponsored for you to do for a week. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, don't, um, don't be looking at us when we say sponsorship <laughs> over there. <laughs> Not that big. <laughs> well, you will be one of these days, um, probably very soon. Actually, with the way you're being distributed nowadays. Um, speaking of that, let's go back a little bit and talk about the uh, 
the production. I, I, I know we've, we've talked a little bit in the past, maybe a lot, actually, about like the production and the legalities of uh, the production of bitters and how it's not necessarily something that... Uh, I'm not trying to like blow anyone's cover or anything like that, uh, but uh, there, there are certain like government approvals that have to be met. And you guys are like pretty much... One, yeah. of the, one of the few like that actually have all your like legit approvals. Can you just run us through like some of that stuff real quick? I know this is kind of like a touchy subject, but no, it's, no, no. it's extremely interesting well, to me. But, you know, it's recently changed altogether after all the stuff we went through for three years. Oh, which, really? which, which is sort of annoying now. <laughs> now you don't really need any of those, well, basically. Yeah. A lot less. A lot at less. At least. Originally, when we were filing... One of the things that you had to do is you had to work with the TTB, which is the Taxation and Trade Bureau for the uh, Division of Alcohol and Tobacco. No firearms for this one. Uh, oh, man. Yeah, I know. Yeah, they took away the guns from the alcohol. Um, but you... Uh, I said that right as Janet was taking a drink of beer. <laughs> She's about to spill over the microphone. <laughs> um, Sorry, but- Jack. <laughs> Originally, you had to... Present all of your formulas for non-beverage products. So anything that uses ethanol mm-hmm. is beverage alcohol unless it's proved not to be. So you would have to go take your formulas, submit them in, uh, submit samples for testing, go back and forth and back and forth and back and forth because they weren't allowed to ever make changes. They could just tell you what you did wrong. Mm. And send it back to you. And then you'd fix that, which led to another problem. So mm. they could only tell you the first thing that basically broke down in the process. And they were very, very nice to deal with. I mean, they were great, but it just took a long time. It took us over a year going back and forth. It wasn't until 2008 that we actually became legal. Our formulas became legal. Um, that part has now changed. Uh, I'll talk about that in a second. But then once you do that, you still have other limitations. You still have to be legal to produce in the state, city, and county where you are. So when we were living in Massachusetts, we were trying to get our kitchen, our home kitchen, registered. And they said, well, no, we don't have any provisions. If you were a home baker, you could do it. And even though we know logically this is more safe, less bacteria haven, blah, 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 than baking, um, we don't have any provision to make it legal for you to have that much alcohol and produce alcohol-containing products at your house. So you can't just rent a, a yeah, and you can't just rent a kitchen because at that point the TTB could come in at any time and inspect your records and see your process and see your equipment. And you need to store everything there, store the recipes there. So you yeah. couldn't just like rent a kitchen for an hour or a week or a month and do it. You actually had to have a permanent space. It had to be full time. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. So that still is a requirement. I mean, we built out our own kitchen. We have we are licensed by the Department of Agriculture and Markets to produce food product. Um, they have reviewed our process. They inspected and, us. Too. And, yep, they reviewed our process. They inspected us. Um, we are licensed to collect sales tax, even though it's a food product, so we don't have to. But uh, we're licensed to collect sales tax in New York. We're registered in New York. You know, we are an actual company, an entity that is able to do this. Um, the laws changed recently with the TTB, where now you can do self-assertion, where they give you a list of ingredients. And if you have these ingredients at at least this amount then you don't have to pre-submit your formula to the government Hmm. which 
doesn't mean that you can just produce anything. You still have to. You can't say, oh, you know, there was one producer was saying, oh, use a, use a drop or just, you know, put it in a glass and take a shot like Underberg. It's like, okay, but you just asserted that it can be used as a beverage. Now it's beverage alcohol because you made that right. assertion. You still need to make sure that all of your ingredients are legal to use, that the FDA and the USDA have lists of generally recognized as safe things. If it's not on the list, you can't use it. So there's a lot of things that you still need to do to be legal. Bluntly, in the state of New York, based on what I've seen, I don't think it's legal to be able to produce bitters in your house. Because I don't think you can get a Department of Agriculture and Markets certificate to produce you know, alcohol containing products at your house. Yeah. Um, I know a couple of people. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I know people who are doing it, especially in the bitter space who are, you know, oh, wouldn't it be fun to make a bitter or. Right. Well, oh. as a hobby, it's okay. Well. But to sell. Yeah. The minute that you sell it. Yeah. Or that you give it to a store for resale, mm-hmm. you're putting them at jeopardy if you don't have all of your ducks in a row to, to, to produce legally. Yeah. Um, like some of those, uh, it's, it's interesting because like some of those ingredients that were used in old bitters recipes, like for instance, uh, like snake root. Yep. Mm. Virginia snake root. In our first version of the bitters, we used a small amount of it. FDA ruled it not legal. Second batch didn't have it. (laughs) (laughs) You know, found other, found other herbs that gave a a similar thing or, you know, tonka bean, things like that. Now there's concern about things that have caffeine. Mm -hmm. So we use some coffee beans in some of our formulas where you switch to decaf. Decaf, Thanks to that, you know, horrible four loco stuff, which caused an industry circular to go out about caffeine, including alcoholic beverages. Oh, wow. Yeah, that was a whole shit show. <laughs> it wasn't even a good product. And I'm just, I'll go out there and say it wasn't even a good product, you know, but it's, uh, yeah. So the, these are all the things that we think about. You know, there's a lot of people t- come to us, oh, are you ever going to do a tobacco bitter? It's like, do you understand how fast nicotine leaches into alcohol, how completely it goes, and how Seriously. it's a neurotoxin? <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, it, well, on that subject, things like uh, like Perique tobacco liqueur, like that uh, Ted Bro's making. I mean, obviously, it's not legal in the United States. No, it's legal. It's legal? To, to the best of my knowledge, you can purchase it legally. There's a legal importer there. And because it is legal, they've had to submit their formula and process. And they have to submit it, my guess, because we have to do this because of quinine. Um, they've had to submit their samples in for testing, probably for nicotine. And get past that it was below whatever the legal limit is. I mean, we have a certain, you know, we can't be over 83 parts per million in quinine. So we submit, we test, we make sure we're under it, then we can produce our formulas. I had no idea that that was legal here now. I've been hoarding I mean, it. <laughs> I mean, I, I've, I've bought bottles in the States from liquor stores in California. So, I mean, it's... Really? it's wow. It, mm. um, yeah, and, and, and that whole, like, FDA approval, you know, like, that's the reason why we can't get things like... You know, grand chartreuse, elixir vegetal, you know, and things like that. Oh, they, no. it's, that's it's, not why. Because, well, they, they don't want to give up their entire recipe. Right. That's, so that's, a, that's an ATF issue. That's a TTB issue that they have to give up their whole recipe. The FDA has sort of changed. The FDA has become really sort of lax. They've now taken the attitude of, well, you follow the directions, and then if you screw up, we'll tell you and fine you. 
you, know, you, you put fill the label. The form. To, yeah, no, you, it's not even filling out forms anymore. It's a, here's the guidance of how to make a label for our products. There's no place where you'd say definitively what should be on a label. And even if you go to these expensive consulting firms who handle like labeling, and they'll come back and say, well, this is all based on our interpretation and our knowledge of what the FDA is looking for these days. But you really don't know until they decide to challenge it. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Wrap your head around that one. You know? <laughs> yeah. That's kind of crazy. Um, it's like a FDA for dummies. Like, <laughs> just get the pamphlet and make our label. Yeah, you would think. It's like, here's a label. It's like, this has to be this big, and this needs to be here, and this needs to be here. But there's no, no, no one single source it. to go yeah. to. So. It's awesome. I, it's so fascinating to talk to you guys about this stuff because, obviously, you're very passionate about not only your products but the process and uh i mean like we're gonna see you down at tells the cocktail yeah, yeah. we're sponsoring right? this year yeah definitely yeah, absolutely you're gonna be kind of all over the place this year yeah um and now that you've got like you know you got your new labeling you've got your dasher tops um i mean we could talk about this for a lot longer <laughs> but we're gonna wrap up here in a second um uh what what are some of the other plans that you have with uh, bitterman's as a company well, I mean, the next phase for the company is more distribution or. Well, that's that's always there. But we've decided there there's more areas in the cocktail world that have sort of been ignored. You know, bitters and tinctures was the first. Uh, we're moving into the spirits world uh, this year. Cool. Uh, we, you know, we can tell now that we actually have formulation approval for a number of cordials and liqueurs. Cool. Uh, we are waiting for our label approval. Which, you know, was supposed to take 45 days. Now it's taking about 90 days for that. And our goal is that by, uh, by late fall, we'll be releasing a, uh, a small spirits line. Excellent. Well, we look forward to it. And uh, I, I can't tell you how much I uh, have appreciated having you guys on the show. And I really look forward to trying some of these cordials. I know we talked about that a little bit before. But <laughs> I, I, I can't wait to see it come into fruition no pun intended. Ooh, <laughs> All right, guys. Well, we're going to see you at Tales of the Cocktail next week down in New Orleans. But uh, I'm sure uh, we'll be seeing you back at the show sometime soon. Wink, wink. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> All right. I want to thank my guests, Avery and Janet Glasser from Bitterman's Incorporated. Yes. Mm-hmm. I guess technically now Bitterman's Inc. and Bitterman's Spirits Inc. <laughs> nice. And uh, thanks again for coming on the show. I want to thank producer Jack Inslee. And we'll see you next week on Speakeasy. Cheers. Yes, he's high. than a Thanks for listening to this program on the Heritage Radio Network. You can find all of our archived programs on heritageradionetwork.com, as well as a schedule of upcoming live shows. You can also podcast all of our programs on iTunes by searching Heritage Radio Network in the iTunes Store. You can find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter for up-to-date news and information. Thanks for listening. This is Behind the Scenes Food News with Katie Kiefer. AMP goes local. The Great Atlantic and Pacific Tea Company, commonly known as the AMP, that grocery chain you've seen all your life, has glommed onto the concept of local and sustainable and has just introduced a new consortium of producers known as the Mid-Atlantic Country Farms, from which they will source beef and poultry.
The animals are antibiotic and hormone-free, raised on vegetarian feed. There is no mention of certified humane or animal welfare-approved uh, status, however. Maybe they haven't gotten that far in the marketing department. But what makes this of interest is that AMP supplies all AMP supermarkets, Pathmark, Food Emporium, Waldbaums, and Superfresh. These are not particularly high-end supermarkets, so this is good news for the average consumer. If you want to read more about this, you can go to the AMP website, which is www.apt.com slash pressroom. This has been Behind the Scenes Food News with Katie Kiefer. Bushwick Block Party. Block Party. It's a party in the street. Free pizza by Roberta. Death Killer Death Wrestling. Featuring the legendary Mad Dog Tosto. Photo booth by Ryan Slack. Waterworld. Closed by Chimeradactyl. Mary Meyer. Warren Bogart. Death Killer Asphalt Resistant Jeans. All types of food for your face. Sweet soda by PA. Roberta's Bake Sale. Heritage Food USA. Orange Cheney Eating Contest by the Orange Cheney Brothers. Live music by Alex Trujan. Florida Paper Twin. Gang Sign. The Netherlands. Team Robespierre. Wild Yak. MC Todd and Bo Breezy. Night Show. Yeah, yeah. Sponsored by Martin Greenfield Clothers. Free Fitness Studio. Heritage Radio Network. Free Williamsburg. Six Point Beer. Momo's Sushi Shack. Beer Box USA. Planet of the Bates. Bushwick Block Party. It's a party in the street. All day long.